All right, everyone. Hello. Welcome to an episode, another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. This is Tessa. I'm so honored and excited to welcome Ellen Meredith to the show today. She, Ellen, has a book out, Your Body Will Show You the Way, Energy Medicine for Personal and Global Change. And I'm holding up the book right now if you're watching this on YouTube, um, which is, gosh, truer words have they ever been said Um, Oh, and I'm just realizing the forwards by Lauren Walker, who's also been a guest on the show. And um, so, so many already synchronicities to Ellen between you and I, Um, we we were just talking about how we have mutual acquaintances in Ashland, Oregon, which is, was my home for many years and always a home in my heart. Um, But before I go down that path, I want to give you all listeners a little bit of background on Ellen. As I said, she's the author of this amazing book, Your Body Will Show You the Way. Um, she's been in practice since 1984 as an energy healer, conscious channel, and medical intuitive, helping over 10,000 clients and students worldwide. As an energy medicine practitioner, Ellen helps clients engage with the body's energies to activate healing. She teaches energy medicine courses on the Shift Network and has served on the faculty of energy medicine pioneer Donna Eden since 2010. And Donna Eden's another one of our synchronicities because she's from Ashland, Oregon. (laughs) So, and the Eden Center is based in Ashland, Oregon. Um, Ellen, thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here and and meet you, Tessa. Yeah, likewise. And I was just, (laughs) I can't help it. Y'all, if you are listening to this and I don't know why I put a phone up to my ear. (laughs) If you're listening to this, Chuck, Ellen has this most beautiful purple walls and I just want you to talk so I can be soothed by the purple color of your walls. I'm curious, this is a totally random question, but is that color intentional? Did you choose it for specific healing properties? I'm curious about color in, in terms of energy healing. Well, absolutely. I, you know, colors speak to me. In fact, colors are part of the language your body speaks, which is energy. And each color has its own energy for each of us. So this may not be a color that speaks to other people, although what I find is that most people love this particular um hue of it's kind of a purpley blue very dark purpley blue and um it just it just makes me so happy (laughs) i can be in a bad mood and i walk in my my consulting room my office here and the color on the walls just makes me feel like everything's okay we're all in this together um i just feel something larger uh enter my awareness in the presence of this particular color and I guess what I would say is, you know, I, people might be writing and going, okay, what's the name of the color? What's the name of the color? And um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Um, but but the, the most important thing is what colors do what for you? What, what is it that awakens you? What is it that soothes you? What is it that puts you in your best self? That's what, what if, if you can, would be a great thing to surround yourself with or have in your your visual um, field so that you can use that to to speak energy to energy, which is what my book is all all about. And I've got another book called The Language Your Body Speaks, which was um, came out two years ago. And so they're kind of a, a match set and they're both about speaking energy to energy, learning this language of energy and using it 
for healing. And also um, in this new book, I talk a lot about how to use it for healing, not just yourself, but the planet. So to deal with personal and global change. Yeah, so important right now. I actually was just listening to an interview um, with Jane Fonda. I, do you ever listen to the We Can Do Hard Things podcast by Glennon Doyle? No, but I can look it up. <clears throat> well, she interviewed very recently Jane Fonda. And I love Jane Fonda. And the the last half of the podcast was dedicated to Jane Fonda's environmental work. Um, and she was talking about how this impacted me a lot, how, you know, she knows she's not going to be around to see her grandchildren grow up and the world they're going to inherit. But she was she wants to do everything she can to make sure that there is a world for them to grow up to have when we think about global climate change and global pandemics and um, the frequency of really intense weather patterns increasing. Um, I mean, this is energetic, right? I mean, and it it speaks to the subtitle of your book, Energy Medicine for Personal and Global Change. What, how can we impact both simultaneously? How do we even approach something like that? I, I get a little bit overwhelmed. I get a little bit, um, I get sad. I get frustrated. I get mad, but then I'm like, okay, well, I can't sit in this. What, what do I do with that energy and how do I make an impact? Right. Right. Well, I think, I mean, I love the, that old saying, think global, act local. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I've always loved that. And I think there's a little bit of that, that, um, We can't affect the out there if we don't have agency over our own instrument. You know, if we're in an orchestra and if if you're in the orchestra and you're playing the violin, you can't control the tuba. But if you're not playing the violin in a way that contributes to the whole, then it doesn't matter what the tuba is doing. And if you do play your violin in a certain way, it actually gives strength and support to the other players in the orchestra. So I think that with this notion of um, personal versus global change, we need to shift our understanding of that to, to from outside to in. Like instead of what are the effects? What is, what is, you know, we named the problems and, you know, we can come up with a long list of the problems, but that's a very outside in way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. And it robs us of our agency because I can't change all these things I've listed that are effects of energetic processes, but I can come in and work from the inside out and not only change how I work, but I can energetically send um, communications that support others. And I think that we see that with, oh, you know, an obvious example is the Dalai Lama. You know, the Dalai Lama is not out there as an activist, you know, fighting on the front lines every minute. He's in there cultivating his awareness and his consciousness. And the greater his awareness and consciousness, the more impact he has on everyone and everything he touches and the more people he's able to touch. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it has to be an either or thing when he does go out to do activism the choices he makes are coming from a more aware place that sees maybe a, excuse me, a larger, more global perspective. And so one of the things I talk about in the book is how do we evolve? Well, first of all, I wanna say that we're in a time of great awakening. 
there's all this change, right? And, and you can see it as everything falling apart because lots of things are falling apart so they can reformulate. However, they're falling apart the way we have pain when we're getting a new tooth, you know, like when a new tooth erupts, there's all this inflammation and, and pain. But if you stick with it, you're really going to like the tooth when it comes up. <laughs> there's this awakening. There's, there's this rising of, of what I called empowered yin consciousness. And it is the ability to operate from the inside out. It is about um, not objectifying everything, not seeing ourselves always from the outside or looking at results, but understanding that how I walk every step of my path really influences not only my results, but everybody's results, influences mm -hmm. the larger world. So in that shift from outside in to inside out, we need to be able to evolve our body to handle a different way of operating. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's kind of the bulk of the book is energy exercises, activities, um, explorations that help you evolve your instrument to handle very different music. And that's that's my answer. If we play very different music, it's going to soothe, soothe the savage beast differently. Mm. You know, if I go out to battle with battle energy, I'm just increasing the battle energy. You know, and this was a lesson of Gandhi too, right? That, you know, if you meet war with peace, peace can often soften the war war energy because it, it's stronger, especially if it's very centered and grounded in awareness. Mm. Yeah. Was that a lot at once? <laughs> Just like, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's an, a good reminder. I think it's things that many of us know, um, maybe intuitively, or we've heard it before, but it's something that I, again, I feel like it's hard to put into practice. We can pontificate about it and understand that change starts with the individual. It starts within, and it, we can also get stuck or, or paralyzed in this notion of, okay, but where do I start and how do right. I start? Because um, speaking of being embodied and your body will show you the way the title of your book so many of us, and I can speak from experience, have spent most of our lives not embodied because our right. bodies have been shown to us, you know, from childhood trauma as not a safe place. So if your body is not a safe place and that's where you have to start, it's like scary as fuck. Excuse right. my language. <laughs> 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 but it's like, okay, how can I trust? Because I've never really spent time in my body. And when I do, there's all this physical pain, right? Like back pain, hip pain, knee pain, joint pain, whatever. And not to say that all of that is energetic. Maybe it is. I, I feel like I go back and forth when I have these conversations with different people with different um, expertise. It's like, okay, well, some of that's actually tissue that's torn some of that's actually broken bone or you know muscle that needs to be repaired or strengthened and some of that is very energetic and it's traumatic and it's trapped in our body um so where am i going with all of this is i guess i mean in your experience your body will show you the way there's this is such a big big topic i'm kind of stumbling over my words in terms of where do we start with this okay <laughs> um, well yeah, please. Go I've got ahead. a couple answers to that. Okay. Um, first of all, if 
we, if we separate, and this is something our culture does to us, it says body is separate from mind, is separate from spirit. They're different things and they're objectified. So they're turned into things. Yes. If we even just shift our perspective a little and see us ourselves as a, a spectrum, you know, we know we're made of energy, you know, those of us who believe anything about science, but even you don't have to have science. Spirituality has all, always taught this is energy. This body that seems so solid is energy. So if you see your spirit and your mind as your body, as on a spectrum, they're all the same thing, but they're energy vibrating at different levels. So on the level of physical, it's still made of energy, but it's a very physicalized form of the same energy that your mind is made of and that your your spirit or wiser self is made of. If we just shift that and say, well, they're not three different things warring, they're different places on the spectrum. One answer is you start at the place of the spectrum where you can, <laughs> you know, yeah. that if you can only get in through spirit because mind and body are so damaged, then maybe you work there. But I love to work at the level of the body early, and and bring the mind along. And one thing I, I want to give a little exercise my teachers gave me because I, I was a little head on a stick growing up. I was up in my head and I loved to intellectualize and so do so does my family. So I can I'm very guilty of trying to control everything from my mind. Mm -hmm. And it turns out trying to steer the body from the mind is kind of like trying to drive your car from the back seat. It's really hard to reach the pedals. So one thing that my teachers taught me is take the thoughts in your head, just grab them kind of like very Harry Potter, like, you know how in Harry Potter, he takes the, the thoughts out of the head and pulls them out with a wand. <laughs> take your two hands, grab hold of the thoughts that are just all tangled up in your head. Just breathe in, pull them out and exhale and bring them down and put them in your heart. So now you're thinking from your heart. You're basically your brain center is in your heart. Just feel into what that feels like for a second. And then, you know, I, I this may be too fast for some people. You can say, well, maybe then that brings so much turmoil to my heart. You know, often that calms my thinking right down personally. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but maybe that's not a comfortable place. You can pull those thoughts out and bring them down and put them in your solar plexus and see what it feels like to have all that stuff that was operating out of your brain to be operating out of your center, you know, your, your physical center of your body, your solar plexus. And just feel into that. And you don't have to know any answers. You don't have to be looking for the right answer to whatever question. You can just say, what does this feel like when I mo move the energy just to another location in my being, in my awareness. And then, of course, you can breathe in and pull, uh, pull it out and put it down in your feet and have your brain be in your feet for a while. Maybe, you know, those of you who have, have the ability to walk around in your space, take a few steps and see what it's like to have your, your not knowing your brain, your thinking, be down in your feet. OK, 
Okay, so this is a very simple energy exercise. It's not the be all and end all, but when you say, where can I start? You can either start with where you are and do something that transforms it. You know, and we talked about color. You can find the color that transforms it. You can do an activity that transforms it. You can use a gesture. You can use sound, sing a song that changes the mood of that moment or focuses your attention in a different way. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a song. It can be a rhythm or a sound, like, a, you know, a chanting sound or, you know, it doesn't have to be formal. It can just be, you know, whatever you want. The, the language of energy is multidimensional. And when we're kids, we speak fluent energy. You know, when we're infants, we speak fluent energy. We're learning all the time. You know, what does this do? What does that do when I push it, when I move it, when I taste it, when I touch it? And we use all our senses to evolve our understanding of the interaction between energy and, and the objects of our world. And then as soon as we learn English or some spoken language, and we come into socialization in our culture, we're taught to bring it all up into the top part of our head mm -hmm. and be very thinky, you know, cognitive. I've got to think, I've got to come with answers here. But your body, our body, my body is wired with guidance throughout. Every, every fiber of my being is capable of giving me guidance if I can learn to interact with it and, and and listen to it or, and not just hear it, but feel it, taste it, touch it, smell it, know it directly. If I can start to interact with the full potential of my instrument, rather than just that little strip up in my brain. And, you know, even we were told that we only use a small portion of the brain even, you know, we, we use such a small portion of this amazing instrument. So part of my answer is play with your instrument. Learn what it can do. See what, what can happen if you move energies around, if you try this or try that, if you, if you shift from speaking words to speaking colors to speaking movement or gesture or touch. Um, and, you know, I can overwhelm people by saying all the possibilities. So choose one. And I usually say start with touch. Um, unless you're so um, traumatized that touch is too challenged for you. But this is self-touch. This isn't sexual touch. It's our, our culture has really um, distorted this sense of touch and sexualized it and made it taboo. You know, teachers aren't supposed to touch the children they're teaching. Mm. And when you think about how an infant learns through touch, what are we depriving our children of when we say, oh, we can't touch ourselves and we can't be touched? Um, because everything's so sexualized. Mm -hmm. So in the privacy of your home, reclaim touch. You know, take, rub your hands together. Here's another simple exercise, and then I'll stop talking so you can get a word in edgewise. Rub your <laughs> hands together and, and take one hand and say, where do you want to go on my body? This is an exercise mm -hmm. called healing hands from the language your body speaks. Just say, where does this hand want to go? And just put that hand there. Let your hand show you where it wants to go. And then take your other hand and say, where does this hand want to go? Usually it's on the body. It could be in your field, but put it on your body for now. And then just hold these two places that your hands have chosen to bring touch. Now, your hands speak fluent energy. So as you hold these two places, tune into 
what are you feeling from your hand? What, what's your hand saying to your body? You don't have to put it in words. Just notice it or feel it. And then remember that your hands are also listening devices. What are you hearing in each hand as you've got your hand in that place on your body? And I notice as I'm doing this, I've got one hand on my neck. I've had a slight headache this morning. Maybe if I didn't sleep quite right and the tissues cramped. And I'm hearing this kind of wah, wah, wah. And I'm thinking, how do I respond appropriately to that wah, wah, wah that I'm hearing with my hands? And so my hand just wants to do a soothing gesture. So it's actually sort of circling right now. But it might be a different sound, a, a kind of lullaby, or it might be a color that just wants to go in there to respond to what that part of my body just said. Okay. And then at some point, you can tune in and say to each hand, do you want to stay here or is there somewhere else you want to go? And usually uh, sometimes the hand will say, no, I want to stay right here. This is where I need to be. And another time the hand might say, well, now I need to go over here. So my one hand wanted to stay and one hand wanted to move. And you follow that pattern until either, you know, you've got to go do something else or you feel like you've come to a, a stopping place or you finished a kind of cycle of moves and you're having an energy conversation with yourself and it's not verbal. It uses all your senses and all the whole language of energy. And it's wiser than your brain could come up with to respond to something that's needed in body, mind or spirit in that moment. Mm. And which is it? I don't know. You're coming through the body. So it could be very physical. For me, it was a very physical tightness in my neck and that's now a little looser. But it could also be a tightness in your life, in your mind, in your emotions, or it could be a spiritual blockage that just feels like, hey, I'm not getting through to you. And that process will, um, will enter into the conversation you're having with your body and inform it and guide it. And so, you know, this is one easy way to enter into energy dialogue, what I call energy dialogue with your body, but also with your mind and spirit. And, you know, I've got lots and lots of different ways in the book to enter through mind and through spirit as well. But I think the body is just such a beautiful entry point because it's right here and it's usually screaming at us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I think it's really interesting. <clears throat> I notice this pattern in my body, wherever the chronic pain is, and it's not always chronic pain, but lately it's been in my low back. And I tend to want to attack the pain pretty, you know, whether it's like using a Theragun or getting it cupped or going to see the chiropractor or rolling around on my foam roller, all of that's pretty, I approach it pretty aggressively and doing this simple exercise with you, just that it's not like a hard touch. I'm not uh, massaging my tissue. I'm just gently placing my hand there. And what I noticed, and with my left hand, my cat's sitting in my lap. She always joins me for podcasts. 
Uh-huh. And it's just so soothing to have her sitting here. I can hear her purring. I can hear her breathe. But as I'm holding my low back really gently on my right hand and my left hand just resting on my kitty, um, I'm noticing all of this energy pulsing through my legs, which I wasn't really aware of before. Um, and to me that says, okay, blood is flowing. Things are moving. Maybe things are kind of unraveling because whatever you're holding so tightly, um, just needs a little bit of gentle compassion sometimes instead of the aggression of like, get this out of me. (laughs) Right. Right. And if, if it's too much energy in there, then release isn't about putting more energy in there. Right. It's not about attacking it. It's about creating space for the energy to release yeah, and permission and, and time and whatever it needs. So as you have these energy dialogues with yourself, you, you get information and you train your brain to understand, oh, right. That tightness in my back doesn't need to be forced to release. It needs to be given support to release. And what's that mm-hmm. look like in my life? Yeah. You know, I mean, you think about a little kid who's hanging out, who's got mom's keys and won't let go and won't let go and won't let go. The way we get the kid to release the keys is to give her something else that she wants. So she <laughs> drops the keys and reaching for something else. Uh-huh. And how often do we have an owie in our back and say, well, I think the way to heal it is to reach for something else mm-hmm. because I won't let go of this thing until I'm reaching towards something that I want more than hanging on to this pain. Mm. And pain is a messenger. So shooting the messenger rarely works, (laughs) you know, in my experience. I mean, once in a while, if the messenger is really obnoxious, you can shoot them and get a different one, but (laughs) it's just delaying the problem, Mm -hmm. delaying the problem. So all symptoms, all pain, they are ultimately messengers from the, from the body self, I call it the earth elemental self, to the mind, which I call the talking self, the self that makes dramas and stuff, and to the spirit, the wiser self that that is the music played on this instrument, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like if we shift from this is wrong and how do I fix it to curiosity mm-hmm. and and compassion, what's going on? And how can I learn from it? And where can this take me? And what what's the messenger trying to communicate? The body, first of all, stops shouting so loud. And that's that's helpful right there. And it shows us things we might not think about. You weren't shown to do things in your back. You were shown to do things with your legs. You know, that there was something related to your legs mm-hmm. in this back issue. Mm-hmm. You know, and... I've got lots of stuff that I do around, you know, alignment and things that that allow energies to flow differently through the physical, through your physical instrument. But you wouldn't know that if you think it's a back problem. Right. So we need to stop asking what's wrong and how do I fix it? And instead, we need to start asking what's going on? Who's here? What's the message you're trying to tell me? Um, And what are the dynamics here? that I can influence lovingly with color, with sound, with touch, with presence, with knowing, with not knowing, with spirituality, with with all the tools that most of us have spent our lives frantically gathering and, you know, trying to solve our problems. We have the tools. We don't use them. 
because first of all, we learn them in, in these disciplined ways that take hours and hours of practice to get any traction with, you know, like, you know, and I love, I love the name of your show off the mats because I totally love yoga and I'm the kind of person who's never gotten past beginner yoga because I just haven't had the discipline to practice and practice to get it to where it really is, is my best set of tools. But if you take it off the mats, every aspect of yoga can be brought in any moment. It's the yoga of presence and the yoga of not necessarily formulated, formulaic exercises or poses, but just that dialogue with the body of what's here, who's talking, what can I do for you, what's needed, and speaking in its own language, in your yeah. body's own language, not English not that, thought. Yeah. Well, and I want to speak to that just a little bit because I feel very passionately about this idea of beginner yoga versus quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here, advanced yoga. We often place so much emphasis on what shape our body is making. And is that an impressive looking shape <laughs> or is it a, a very simple quote unquote, easy looking shape, like right. Shavasana, for example, corpse pose, yep. you're laying on your back. In my opinion, in my very humble opinion, in my corner of the world, um, I believe that the more advanced form of yoga is the more simple, quote unquote, beginners yoga. It's so easy to, as you practice yoga, as you study yoga, as you learn more about just the asana, which are the postures to get wrapped up in making your body do pretzely things and think that is the path to advancing a yoga practice. And I, I, I wholeheartedly disagree that that is the way now, maybe it's one way for somebody in right. their body, but when we can take a step back, just like that simple action of taking your energy, placing your hand on your body and being gentle with it, the same can be really advanced practitioner in their yoga practice, knowing when to back off, make something simple, add a prop, just sit, just lay down, just take a break is a very, very advanced and wise practice of yoga. Right. And, and outside the studio is very much this ethos that yoga is so much more than our body or physical flesh or physical form that this is a practice that's meant to be yoga means union, right? Yeah. And, and what are we bringing? I mean, we're, we're talking about it here, the union of all these things that we compartmentalize our heart, our head, I said, our heart, as I put my hands towards my head. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Uh, so funny, but I mean, bringing all these things together and recognizing that they're all part of the whole. And so thank you for bringing that up because I think it's such an important thing to be reminded of. And I, I, I keep wanting to ask you this question. I read it in your bio the, that you are a medical intuitive, um, and yes, an energy healer. And I think most of us probably have some concept of what it means to be an energy healer, but I'd love to hear about your origin story. And this, so this is a two-part question. First of all, could you tell us what a medical intuitive is and tell us how you came into this work as a practitioner? Okay. Well, 
a medical intuitive, there's actually a lot of different definitions out there. I think people call themselves medical intuitives and they look a little different. I mean, the old timey medical intuitives were able to use their intuition to diagnose illness in the body. Mm -hmm. That was the old timey definition. Um, and, you know, they'd often consult with doctors and say, you know, test the liver here. The liver is bad. And um, so that was one version of it. And it's sort of evolved to refer to anyone who uses intuition to um, understand what's needed physically or for wellness in the body. And but let me go to my origin story and then you'll understand why I use that. I use it because, you know, shift uh, where I teach at shift network you know, they, they use that as one of the terms to sort of <laughs> put me in a box, which I'm never wanting to be in. You know, I usually yeah, think of myself yeah. as an energy medicine practitioner or energy healer, but <clears throat> I did, I was originally trained by my inner teachers about 50 years ago. Um, in my teens, I was, um, I, I, I'm a writer and I'd finished a project and I was kind of looking for inspiration and my grandmother who's dead showed up in my mind and gave me a message. And I wrote it down thinking, oh, how nice my imagination supplied grandma, right? <laughs> and then, but that same day, somebody I barely knew came to my door and said, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to a psychic fair. Do you want to go with me? And I said, sure, sure. I've never been to a psychic. And I went to this $10 psychic reading and the psychic looked at me and she said, your maternal grandmother is standing right behind you and she's got a message for you. And then she repeated word for word the message I had gotten from my grandmother and written down. Whoa. That morning. I know. Whoa. <laughs> do, 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 do. You know, yeah. twilight zone, right? Yeah. Well, I was totally hooked. Like, okay, this is the most interesting thing that's happened to me in a while. Yeah. And um, so I said to her, you know, are you reading my mind? Because I, I already got that message. Are you reading <laughs> my mind or do you think my grandma's really there? And I had loved my grandma very much. So she was a she was a wonderful figure in my life. And um, I give the psychic credit. She said, it's my belief system because this was like what the well, 50 years ago, whatever that was. <clears throat> so she said, it's my belief system that your grandmother's actually standing there and that you heard her and that I can hear her. Mm -hmm. And you hear a lot of um, guidance and a lot of stuff that you ignore, that you aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. So if you slow down and listen, you could really hear guidance. And I thought, okay, I'm a writer, right? Who doesn't want guidance? This was awesome. And because um, I did not have a, I was in Michigan and we didn't have a big culture of psychic this and that at that time. Mm -hmm. So I did slow down and I listened and um, what happened was within a day or two, I started to see this little ticker tape in my head of letters, like, like the old stock market ticker tape, which tells you what, how old I am. Right. Anyway, <laughs> the old, the old style. And I went to my typewriter and I wrote letter by letter and it was a message from my inner teachers. I called them my counsels and they said, you know, you've asked to know us and we're here and we're going to train you and just tune in. You can ask questions, but we'll guide you and we'll explain things and and give you some some training in all this stuff and i mean you know i'm summarizing there were they interpreted a dream i'd had and there were all kinds of interesting things in their tidbits in what they said in this message that i took down letter by letter and i thought this is just so weird <laughs> i love it and so i tuned into them over and over and 
what I came to understand is, uh, you know, so I became a channel. And what I came to understand is that channeling is not about bringing information through. It's not about the messages you give to yourself or other people. It is about aligning your awareness with some higher consciousness or some wiser consciousness. I don't like higher, some wiser consciousness and learning from them. It's, it's, a, it's a learning or teaching across dimensions of awareness. So, you know, if I tune in, I mentioned Gandhi earlier. If we tune into Gandhi, no, I'm not going to speak for Gandhi. I could maybe because I'm a channel, but you can also tune into Gandhi and learn from that consciousness by making that connection. That's quite simply, you know, the simplest version of what channeling is. And I believe we all have these inner counsels, inner teachers, our wiser selves belong to these group consciousnesses that I call um, councils. So to fast forward a little, because it's a long story, because I'm old now. <laughs> um, at one point, my teachers, after I'd been working with them for some years, they came in and they said, you're going to move to California, you're going to get very ill. And in the process of healing, you're going to become a healer. And I heard, you're going to move to California. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> totally ignored the rest of the message, right? Yep. <laughs> because the bad thing about channeling is you have to actually be willing to hear what you're getting. Mm -hmm. And so I did move to California. I did get quite ill and through a series of referrals ended up with a, a complimentary practitioner. She was, a, she was a chiropractor who does applied kinesiology mm -hmm. and discovered quite accidentally that I could see which supplements I needed. I could see what was on the wall. She had a wall of them. I could see which ones I needed. I could begin to see which meridians were out of balance in my body because she worked with meridians. I could see what was different, you know, that my gallbladder wasn't the same color as her gallbladder. And so this ability to see what was going on in the body both energetically and even physically, kind of awakened in, in this very pragmatic workshop where she would, you know, I would look at me, I would look at her, she would be energy testing me. And then I'd get this validation right away of, yeah, that, that thing that you said, you know, I didn't even know where the organs were or what they were called. I'd go, what's this here? <laughs> you know, and she'd go, that's your gallbladder. <clears throat> so I learned in this, this kind of very hands-on way that how what I was perceiving correlated with what her energy testing or her muscle testing would show, or even um, we did chemical testing of a lot of stuff. And, and so when I healed, she asked me um, if I would come in and work with clients and help her take a look and, and help her with some a few people she was stuck with. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I could do, but I went in and the first client, I said, well, you know, I looked at her, she had a neck that wasn't healing. And I said, well, would it make a difference if there's like a hairline crack in one of those vertebrae there? And you know, the chiropractor is going, yes. And I said, because there is. And she x-rayed it and sure enough, you know, found the crack. And then I, so the client said, hey, do you do readings? And without thinking, I said, oh, yes. And the, so that just, I'm, I kind of launched my practice. I didn't set out to have a practice, but within a year, I had a full-time practice of channeling for people and and doing readings but also doing healings and and consulting in this um, chiropractor's office as a medical intuitive and that just evolved now i don't you know i don't consult in offices like that but i use my ability to see what's going on with people's energies as part of my energy healing mm 
And it's something everyone can learn. It's not the special ability that only certain anointed people have. It's something that you know you can you can learn um, by learning to speak the language of energy. And that's kind mm -hmm. of my focus in in both books that I mentioned um, <clears throat> is to help people learn this language so that it's not this big mysterious weirdo thing, but just the part of our capacity that our culture never teaches us how to develop. Yeah. Interesting. I love that story. Wow. What a cool path. What a cool journey. Um, yeah, it was not, it was not what I thought I'd be doing when I grew up. <laughs> did you, do you thinking back to childhood, did you have, you know, everybody adults always ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you remember if there was something in mind for yourself? Yes. I wanted to be a favorite famous educator. Um, and I, yeah. And I wanted to be a writer and, um, yeah, mostly those. And I never thought I wanted to be a psychic or any of that because I didn't even know what that was. And um, I did explore, I did become an educator. I worked in education for many years, even while I had my practice. I've had my practice for um, almost 40 years now, my my healing practice and my healing and channeling practice. <clears throat> but um, I also did work in international child development because I'm very passionate about um we've got to do better by children. So, um, so I did end up doing that. And I'm a writer, I've got other books out there, um, besides the two I've mentioned. So, so I did do that. Yeah. But it turned out not to be what I thought it was. Right. And it takes just different forms often. That's so yeah. cool. I love that story. Yeah. And the teaching and writing became sort of more vehicles for me to help people you know it's my not my true passion now what i want to be when i grow up at this point is someone who helps other people find their own truth and their own um, tools and their own abilities to heal from the inside out that's what i feel yeah. very passionate about because i don't believe that anyone else heals you i don't think your doctor heals you i don't think your practitioner heals you mm -hmm. i don't think the medicine heals you yeah. i think the body heals and we have to ask, well, who are we inviting to help us heal? Because if we're attacking ourselves with these things that that are really just horrible for us, how helpful is this? Can we learn to invite better helpers in to this process that the body already knows how to do? Yeah, to me, that's such an important message to reclaim the self-knowing and empower yourself to listen to your body and in and, and, and I, you know, like you, I think there's so there's so much um, people that can help us along the way, but we have to be really important. We have to be really careful about who we place our trust in and yeah. how far along that path we go. Right. <laughs> I'm right. so, this is so front and center for me right now because I, uh, I mean, in the wellness industry, it's kind of ubiquitous, especially in the yoga industry, all of these teachers falling from grace. And, um, and then I just recently watched a little bit of the, the docu-series on Nexium, which is called The Vow. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it, that's so front and center in my mind. And it's like, we as seekers on this healing path, seeking to heal ourselves, seeking to be our highest selves, seeking to, that's always been my goal is to become self-actualized, can get kind of enmeshed in in these other leaders who have this sense of power over us and then we give it all up to them and it's right. not to say that we can't trust anyone but be just be mindful of like 
how much of yourself you're giving away to this thing. And um, right. yeah, you know, right. well, you know, our culture socializes us to be very, what I say outside in, and I write about exactly. this extensively in the book yeah. because so that teacher out there, who's got a lot of glamor and power mm -hmm. and, you know, an aura of, of knowing everything and, yeah. and pronouncements and a big platform automatically we think they know more than we do you know mm -hmm. we we look for guidance and we see guidance as coming from outside ourselves rather than from within mm -hmm. which is already backwards to me i just don't think guidance comes from out there i think it comes from in here mm -hmm. and i think that it's very simple to just say look there's the teaching and the learning and you can list all the famous teachers you'd studied with but what the heck have you learned and if you go back to, well, what do I know? What have I learned versus what are they teaching? And how can I claim it as my, my, my birthright, my, you know, my heritage, because I studied with them. No, what do I know? What, how do I live this knowledge? How do I live this wisdom? And where do I get my knowing from? And ultimately, if you have a teacher teaching the wisest stuff in the world, if you're a fool and you're not, not accessing your own inner wisdom, you're going to distort that message so so severely that it can even do damage and yeah. you know i i've been lately shaking my head going oh my god i feel so bad for jesus christ and i hope this isn't offensive to anyone because i'm of jewish background but you know he was one of us and um i feel bad for him because if he came back and looked at the things that were being done in his name mm -hmm. i think he'd be horrified yeah. And it's not because his teachings were off. It's because they fell on the ears of people who could not hear <clears throat> the message without distorting it. Mm -hmm. And and we're at a place of crisis where we need to shift from that outside in way of operating and activate our inner wisdom and activate our our awareness of shared humanity, our awareness of I am not this separate thing. You know, and that's, again, our, our culture teaches us that's different in other cultures. But in our culture, you know, you have to excel by by surpassing other people and by standing out from the crowd and being different and and being unique. And, you know, winning is beating other people, not having everybody arrive at the finish line together. That's mm -hmm. winning in our culture. We need to shift these things and we need to shift them very rapidly because the consciousness that leads to me, us against them, that binary um, polarized consciousness is creating conflict and destruction left and right. Mm -hmm. And when we get past those binaries, those this versus that and can embrace a kind of both and where I understand that my reality and your reality have to share and coexist on the planet. And I can't, I can't exploit a part of the planet for my gain without harming you. And you can't exploit a part of the planet for your gain without harming me and my children. When we understand we're all in this together and we have this, swarm consciousness you know we're like the bees and the porpoises and other creatures we just don't know it yet mm -hmm. when we really awaken to our interconnectedness our swarm consciousness we make better choices then we're the wise student who hears the wisdom from the teacher and can do something with it other than distort it and use it to harm people mm -hmm. so i think that's up in our faces 
politically, spiritually. I mean, the commercialization of spirituality kind of makes me sick on a daily basis. It's like, you know, how, ma how many followers can I get if I give you a daily drop of wisdom? And I'm thinking, wait, isn't wisdom situational? Mm -hmm. isn't, isn't like wisdom what you do in a moment that has a context? It's not something you can extract and say, now apply this from outside and this will get you through. I mean, sometimes the wisdom in the moment is to be the biggest fool ever. But is that the drop of wisdom I want to give? No, I don't want to tell people go around and be a fool because often that's not the wisest choice. You see what I'm saying? So I, yeah. I just feel like we're in this very intensified, exaggerated time where all the things that are not sustainable are in our face. Yeah. And we need to say, how do I move myself towards being a more sustainable, more uh, globally conscious or spirit, I call it spherical consciousness um, kind of instrument so that I'm contributing to the solution in whatever I do rather than to the problems. And that's what I talk about in my book is how do you do that on a very concrete level, like, you know, put your hands here and here, what happens, you know, these explorations that awaken you to your own agency and your own wisdom and your own guidance system that's built in that's different your guidance system and your guidance and your soul is different than mine and then hers and hers and his and his so if we buy into the the myth that there's this generic thing that can be extracted and sold you know like they use this term hack lately you know these spirituality hacks and and meditation hacks and it's like really no i don't think so i don't think you can extract the, the wisdom and then market it mm -hmm. and have it still be nourishing because it's not teaching us how to inhabit our being and our doing moment by moment. And it's not teaching us to um, reclaim and, and inhabit our agency in life. Our, the fact that I am an instrument in the orchestra and if I play horrible music, that orchestra is going to sound crappy. Yeah. yeah. So how can I commit to playing the best music possible on this instrument Yeah. and caring for this instrument the way it needs to be cared for? And you can't give me rules because your rules might be for a tuba and I'm a violin or I'm a flute. So I need to really work from the inside out even on that. Hmm. Yeah, that's such a beautiful invitation. Even as I listen to you say these things, which I believe it's I need to be reminded of that myself. And it's such an invitation to sit back, like lean, physically lean back and sit in my body and realize that I don't have to hustle so hard. No, <laughs> you know? And that's not what it's about anyways. And um, it's so easy to get caught up. Yes. in the Instagram likes and the followers and all of these things, but that is at the end of the day, it feels to me, my cat's moving my <laughs> equipment around. It feels to me like a bastardization of um, what it is that we're, we're actually saying the content that we're actually trying to get across in the first place, which isn't to say that, you know, social media doesn't have its place and its merits, but it's such a fine line to walk. I think as I keep hearing this term, a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, um, walking that fine line between, okay, how do I have my own business? How do I have my own livelihood? How do I do something that feels good work-wise for my soul? Um, 
make, make money, like put a roof over my head, put food in my belly, um, but stay true to my message and stay true to myself without this selling out or commercializing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because it, you know, a lot of these realms, um, can be corrupting. I mean, as as an author, you know, I, I was shocked. I published a book years ago, um, oh gosh, in the 80s. And um, then I published another book in, recently. And, you know, I published books in between, but I wasn't dealing with publishers in the same way. And I was shocked because at this point, they want to know what your platform is. They want you to already be an influencer out there, you know, dealing with social media and you absolutely have to do this in order to even get your books published anymore. And I think about, God, I just want to write another book. I just want to develop more material. And, and, you know, there's solutions to that, but the bottom line is this, this notion that we have to sell it before we make it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's so weird to me. It's just like yeah. backwards, like make it. And then if it's good, people will want it. Right. And, and it's the world we're in right now, and it can be very corrupting. And I, you know, I know some people who don't even, you know, read books anymore. They just want to get these little driplets of messages and feel good for a moment and, and move on or don't have any sustained practice. It's just the feel good moment of the, of the day, which is a very American thing. Mm-hmm. But when you look at your culture and you look at your town and you look at your society, you know, there are things that need to be done collectively, that need to be sustained, that need to be real. I mean, the mm-hmm. notion that we're moving more and more into virtual reality, oh and I think gosh. a lot of us, you know, after the after the lockdown of pandemic and three years of everything going kind of virtual, it's gotten kind of easy. You know, here we are talking, I don't know where you are, somewhere else than where I am. And it's lovely, and it's a wonderful opportunity but if we limit our lives to that virtual stuff, our bodies start to scream louder and louder that they are not happy with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do we, how, I think a lot of us are kind of in re-entry shock of how do I get back to having a real life with a little bit of virtual stuff rather than 24 hour messaging with a little bit of um, real experience to just, you know, kind of like the cherry on top. Yeah, Ellen. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, everything you said, yeah, underscore, underscore, bold exclamation point. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not apart from that. I'm struggling with it, too. I think we all need to at least, you know, maybe we don't have to struggle. That's just I like to struggle because, you know, that's just sort of then it feels so good when I solve it, you know, so I've got that history of, oh, aren't I a good struggle solver? And I, you know, it's not always sometimes it's nice to do something easy and have it come out well. That's okay too. Yeah. But but we do have to ask ourselves a question of not what do I want to be when I grow up, but what makes my heart sing? Mm-hmm. Because if you shift the question not to what am I striving towards, what do I want to accomplish, what do I want to control, how do I get the money, but what makes my heart sing? Mm-hmm. You're going to start little choirs of with people who that makes their heart sing too. And that joint effort is going to make structures that are real rather than virtual. And they may be across the internet, but they're real versus virtual. And, you know, I know people say, how many followers do you have? And it's like, I have no idea, but I do know that there's a few people I interact with who really seem to be interacting with me and my work. And I'm so thrilled when that happens, but it's probably a small percentage of the people who are signed up for whatever lists I've got to, I've got to have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but if it's even one person, I feel really honored. Like, well, thank you. That's really cool. 
<laughs> right. and I think whatever I'm teaching awakens the learner in you so that you become the teacher. You know, and yeah. that's that's where I think we're doing good work when um, we help each other um, awaken to a greater existence, a greater balance of being and doing and inhabiting this weirdo world that we're co-creating and it's it's careening rapidly and faster than most of us can even think you know yeah I mean that's the message that's I feel like that's a really good place to I actually feel like I could go on but I do have other things to do today and I also want to be mindful of your time um but I think this is a good note to end on so that it stays more fresh, I guess, in the mind and also hopefully sinks deep into the body and starts to take seed and grow from there. And yeah. Ellen, after all this talk about social media and followers and stuff, if people do want to connect with you and find out more about your book, pick it up, where can they go to find you? Good question. Well, I do have a website, um, ellenmeredith.com, and that's M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H.com. That's a good jumping off place. I've got my books, I've got my classes and DVDs and all that this stuff. And what I one thing I have there that's really fun is a do-it-yourself divination tool. It's totally free. It's just a, a fun thing I put up years and years ago to help people start the process of doing little readings for themselves. So check that out and play with it because it's fun. But you can also connect in with all my, my other forms of teaching and writing and stuff that's out in the world. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate all the work you do and showing up and, and speaking with us today. It's been such a blast. Thank you, Ellen. Well, thank you. And thank you for, for this for this platform. Thank you for this, <laughs> this podcast and for the conversation. It's been really fun. And I liked meeting your kitty. Well, everyone, that concludes another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you learned something new maybe remembered something old, maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life. My, <laughs> you can hear my dog in the background. She's doing a little happy dance. Um, so Daisy enjoyed it. Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media. Don't know what I would do without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic, musical, genius, Drew Lovern, thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show, only place you're ever going to hear it is right here. Thanks, you guys. You make my world go round. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about right we're sharing information so that we're better um so that we're inspired so that we're lifting each other up and we're learning how to be in this world living on this planet to the best of our ability sharing information and inspiring one another and that's my hope that's my hope for the show 
Take care.